Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 311 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I'm tying into the conversations that have been going on around liminal space, and I'm revisiting a conversation that I had with Lauren Artress. She is the canon of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, the founder of Veriditas, and she's a spiritual pioneer and has been a leading force in the modern labyrinth movement, bringing some of the first labyrinths back to the United States back in the 1980s. And I just love that I got to speak with her last year around this same time. And I wanted to revisit this conversation because the labyrinth definitely ties right into that spiritual liminal space that we talked about in episode 310. And in looking back, there's a really nice through line here with the conversation that I had with William J. Peters, where we talked about shared death experiences and liminal space, which was the most recent episode. And then this conversation with Lauren Artress, I really wanted to revisit again. One, because I love the labyrinth itself so much. Of course, it's a spiritual tool. It's a walking meditation, and it does lead you into intentional liminal space. And it was such an honor to get to speak with Lauren about the labyrinth. I had just trained as a labyrinth facilitator, and so it was really meaningful to get to ask her some of my questions and kind of talk about the labyrinth together. So really excited to share this with you again this week. Before we get to the conversation with Lauren, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome and say thanks so much for tuning in this week and always. It's really such a treat to get to do this show. There's some really exciting new conversations coming up. I have on a brand new author, Heather Hall. I have Dr. Barbara De La Torre, who just launched her podcast, which is Third Opinion MD. And I also will be having a conversation with Scott, who owns an Airbnb that is completely 80s themed. And he has one of the largest private collections of 1980s arcade games. He's a lot of fun. And I'm going to have Fred LeBlanc back of the band Cowboy Mouth. So this is just all coming up in the near future. And I'm really excited to share them with you. If you're new to the show, you want to find out more about me and about this podcast, Jumpstart Your Joy, you can find everything you need to know over at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And the episode notes for this show will be there as well. On those, I will list out the links to Lauren Artress's many books. Um, they are really good and some of my very favorites on the labyrinth. And you'll find the link to the World Labyrinth Locator there as well. And you can buy my book, Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. Or maybe we should call that liminal space now. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. But you can find all of that there on the website. I'm really excited to bring Lauren on and You'll see in this conversation, we do talk about how the labyrinth can be used as a tool for liminal space. And I think it's really important right now, especially as we're coming on, hopefully, the end of this pandemic, and we're all re-entering back into the world and into our lives in new ways. It does feel like we're in this 
less of a messy middle and maybe on this transitional space that feels a little bit liminal at this point because we know where we've been and we don't quite know what the future offers and so it is an in-between time and I think getting intentional about entering into liminal space as one would with a labyrinth offers you space and time to kind of reflect on where you've been and where you're going and so I really believe that the labyrinth is a beautiful tool for that so without much further ado let's bring Lauren on welcome to the show Dr. Lauren Artress. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yes. I am so excited to have you on because you have worked with The Labyrinth for years and written many great books, including this latest one, The Path of the Holy Fool. And it's such a treat to have you come on and talk about The Labyrinth and your work and how you found your way to it. Well, I'm happy to do that. It's been quite a journey for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I love that we'll, we'll unpack some of the parallels there of the journey of a labyrinth and the journey of our lives. So... Before we get there, though, would you please uh, tell us what did you love most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Yes, definitely nature, Paula, definitely nature. I, uh, we lived way out in kind of, at that time, rural Ohio, meaning, you know, everything was a post office box and uh, there were no sidewalks and you had your own wells for water yeah. about 30 miles outside of Cleveland. And luckily, it was just a, a beautiful area. We lived right on the Chagrin River, and mm -hmm. which, you know, was earlier on, indigenous Blackfoot tribe was lived there. And so we would find flints and grinding stones in the garden. And we had a victory garden and... Uh, I remember one specific moment of just pure joy was in the fall, digging up potatoes out of the ground. And you know, a pitchfork, a garden fork, not a, not a sharp pitchfork, and using this garden fork and just unearthing, putting all your weight on the, on the handle down and up comes the earth. And here's this cluster of wonderful, wonderful, I guess it would be russet potatoes. Yeah. It was just a, a moment of joy. There were many like that, but nature was definitely, and still is, a, a, place where I can be nurtured. That was amazing. Yeah, that took me back. I mean, we both live in the San Francisco Bay Area now. My childhood, at least five years of it, was in uh, and around uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I had a memory of going into the forest and finding, I don't know if it was honeysuckle or something, but you could like break it off and like kind of take a sip of the nectar from it. Like, mm, uh -huh. like that was fun too. Like, so, But it engaged uh -huh. all the senses, kind of like the uh -huh. potatoes probably. Like there was a lot of sensory interaction there. That's right. Yeah. And revelation is like, you know, wow, this is right here for us and embracing us. And, and, you know, and it's so important. This is part of what we need to do is help everybody get back to a, an understanding of how nature nurtures and supports us um, mm, rather than yes. mistreating it or not understanding it. I love that. Yeah. And kind of the discovery. I can see there's going to be some really fun parallels here about like the discovery and the unfolding of things in our lives. Also, the metaphor of the labyrinth involved with all that. So your journey is so interesting to me about how you, I don't know, reconnected with because I don't think the labyrinth every ever left the human collective intelligence or, you know, mindset in the years True. that it kind of disappeared from being used. But like, could you explain 
how you found your way to a labyrinth and what that journey was like for you. Sure, sure. Let me first say for our listeners is that, uh, let me describe a labyrinth. Please, kind of, yes, that'd be a great place to start. Thank moments. you. That's important. A lot of times people confuse a labyrinth with a maze and not know that they're really diametrically opposite. Right. A maze is a cognitive puzzle. A labyrinth usually is a, a large circle, if we're talking about pavement or church labyrinths, uh, on the ground, uh, flat across, and it has one path that leads in, in a very circuitous way, into center. And the labyrinth that I'm thinking of, I mean, I actually can, can show a design if that would be helpful. Yeah, let's see it. <laughs> I can even uh, yeah. grab one of mine. Yeah, so I just have the, just the chart one, you know, I'm, I'm doing a facilitator training this week, so it's, I have it right here, handy. Yes. But you can see the one path. Uh, moving in now to me it looks like a right-handed path it's a left-handed path right it comes through that way yeah, yeah. and so you can see what I mean by a very circuitous way mm-hmm. uh, and leads to center and and that's what makes it a meditation tool is because you just put one foot in front of the other and trust the path which is such a great metaphor especially right now in these uncertain times yes Yes. And I love that you just showed a hand labyrinth. So maybe we can talk about how to incorporate that into our everyday after we get in past, you know, how you got, how you found your way to the labyrinth. Um, Because I know, yeah, I mean, I've loved the interaction I've had with a a handheld labyrinth and that surprised me completely. But yeah. yeah. How did you find your way to that Chartres labyrinth in France? And what was that journey like? It was actually, I mean, the whole thing feels very fortuitous, or it feels guided to me. I happen to be teaching at General Theological Seminary uh, with Alan Jones, who was appointed Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. And so I never even applied for the job, and being canon pastor of Grace Cathedral was a plum job in, in the Episcopal Church. And at that time, I was doing psychotherapeutic practice, uh, pastoral counseling, psychotherapeutic, and just, I had hints though, that my life was going to change. I, I had that partly because of my, you know, my vision quest to Uluru in Australia, mm-hmm. which is in the path of the Holy Fool, that experience. Yeah. And it just kept opening up. And so I had this invitation to, to live in San Francisco and be at Grace Cathedral. And I, soon after I arrived there, I received a very large grant from Lawrence S. Rockefeller. And that gave me the funds to be able to help Grace Cathedral develop a center for spirituality. And it was called Quest, Grace Cathedral Center for Spiritual Wholeness. And there were programming paths, four of them, and they all led to the labyrinth. They led me to the labyrinth. Creativity is a spiritual path, that's one of them. The finding and seeking the feminine and the divine rediscovering the mystical traditions and the marriage of Eastern and Western traditions. And so all of those just kind of led me to the labyrinth. But as you know, not it was not an easy path. It, the, the labyrinth really became, I knew I was searching for something because we were in the beginning and the middle, not certainly not the end, of the AIDS epidemic. 1987, we had our first person in the congregation die of some kind of strange illness, you know, and early on that was called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency, some, you know, just like now we're feeling our way, more research is helping us understand. But at that time, like now, people are were frightened 
and my job was to start, you know, all the programs I could for the worried well, for the dear parents coming to San Francisco to be with their dying son or daughter, certainly son in the beginning and later daughter. And so it was a really challenging time and we needed something. We needed something that, because people couldn't talk about what they were going through. It was too deep, it was too frightening, it was too painful. And it certainly parallels to our time right now. Um, and so it kind of, I was ready to leave the cathedral. I didn't, that was not my work. And, you know, one way to find your work is to know what's not your work. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm not a chaplain. I'm not, not somebody who's, uh, you know, I mean, we had in 89, along with the earthquake, we had 92 people die in the congregation. Now understand that Grace Cathedral is a big civic cathedral, so if you're in trouble, people would come whether they're part of the congregation or not, but the larger uh, San Francisco area, 92 uh, funerals in one one year for that one illness. And so, you know, I took a sabbatical and thinking, what's my next step? What's my next step? (laughs) It's a great question. It's a great labyrinth question, too. It is. The next step, yep. (laughs) It really really is. And so then I went back to work with Jean Houston. And Jean is author of many books, 40 books or so, a psychologist, a philosopher. And she, at that time, I worked with her in 85 for a whole year. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of coming home. Okay, I'll, I'll just dip back in and see. And Jean's always generous and said, sure, come on. And then that's when they introduced the labyrinth. Probably not their first time. I'm not sure. I need to ask Jean that. But but they just taped a big old 11 circuit medieval labyrinth, which is the other name for the shark labyrinth, on the floor. And that was my first introduction. And it was a it was a terrifying experience. It was a great experience, yeah. <laughs> all of that. And I think it was an anxious experience for me because, in all fairness to myself, I think there was definitely a part of me that knew I was stepping into a huge change in my life. Right. Huge. And I had a dream that night, even um, after the walking it, and I walked it about three times later in the evening, maybe one o'clock, one a.m. something, and went back to my cabin and and had this amazing dream, which was really helpful. That signal change, signal change. Mm. And, and then I realized, well, I, you know, it sent me over the chart. We did the research there, and a lot of times people think that the chart labyrinth has been open to the public, and it's, if they walk over, go over right the now, they'll find it open. No, it's been closed probably since the French Revolution, 1792, 93, right. and I think there there are occasions. BBC uh, recorded a, a special on the cathedral, and they didn't have chairs on it then, but ordinarily and usually they have chairs on it. In tourist season now, they're opening it on Fridays. And so it's been a long 20, 25 year relationship of introducing the labyrinth through Grace Cathedral first. In 1997, we had the rector, the chanoine, as they say in French, the rector or the dean of the cathedral, come to Grace Cathedral. Wow. And it's his first time to the United States. And show him the work we're doing with the labyrinth. You know, live music in the evenings on Wednesday, the third Wednesday, and silence on Sundays, the first Sunday of the month. And, so they became, and they're beginning certainly to open their labyrinths. But again, it just felt like I was going down a highway with every light was just turning green. Every light was just... So I came back to Grace Cathedral. We were down our hands and knees. Oh, by the way, just by synchronicity, 
six people from the congregation of Grace Cathedral happened to be in France at the same time. So <laughs> As I said, when you were walking the Chartres Labyrinth. Well, that, and I said, come on, and this was, this was August 5th, 1991, not that I remember the date or anything. And the six of us went in. We knew it was under chairs. Yeah. We knew we didn't have per permission, but they didn't respond to correspondence because there wasn't a, Francois Legault, the, the dean, was not in his uh, office yet. He wasn't in that place, position. And so we moved the chairs, yeah. 276 of them, and walked the labyrinth. Hmm. And so that was really a, a signal for me. It was an amazing experience. And then that was like, yeah. We need we need to have the labyrinth in Grace Cathedral, so it just just everything just kept opening up. Cause why? Because the labyrinth wants to come back into our awareness. Right. Yeah. Well, and I love that you spoke of some of the liminal space that it seemed was popping up for you even in the times right before you were walking the labyrinth or after you'd first walked it, because it's mm -hmm. super interesting. I I actually had a very similar experience. I think I first found one. I was on a retreat at San Damiano and they have a, an outdoor labyrinth there for people at Stanville, California. And I walked it, I think two or three times the first evening and it was at twilight. And then also had this very like, I got to get back down there. <laughs> I don't know what I just experienced, but I got to do that again. It's there like, kind of all by myself in the dark of night. I'm out there walking a labyrinth and going, what is this? And then proceeded to have other experiences there near the labyrinth there that very much was directing me in ways that I, I mean, I can't even really verbalize all of it because it's in a different zone probably for me, but so interesting what happens. Would you talk a little bit, because I know some of what you, you talk about in The Path of the Holy Fool is about that divine imagination. I feel like that's what's coming into play here maybe. Like what happens when we say yes to those things that we allow ourselves to imagine or believe, and how can that help with our, our path? Mm -hmm. Right, and it's that's is what's happening, I think. I think that the labyrinth is coming forth to help people, not only during these really chaotic times, to offer a sure path, right. something you can trust, something you can do that's meditative, that brings you into your presence, and often into, you could say, capital P presence. Yeah. that there's a sense of guidance that comes from walking the labyrinth. Now, we're talking about archetypal labyrinths. At least in my mind, I am. There's a lot of contemporary labyrinths that are coming in, which is wonderful. But the one that I know and is my heart song is the labyrinth from Chart Cathedral. Yeah. yeah. As I mentioned already, the 11th Circuit Medieval Labyrinth. But it does. It, it provides guidance. It's so important to realize that walking for many of us, is a huge help to quiet the mind. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I always describe myself as a failed meditator. I mean, I couldn't, I actually could do sitting meditation as long as my stress level didn't go up. Oh, great, that's fine, yeah. Well, yeah. then in the middle of the AIDS, AIDS epidemic, the beginning when the fear was rampant and everything was going on, and I was responsible for putting in some programs and, and doing a lot of hospital and chaplaincy work, Wow, you know, it just it just was the way I needed to go, mm -hmm. and so walking, uh, meditation, really, you, because you're using your body, you know, just right. charging all that energy, 
that you're trying to sit on, literally, at least for me when my stress is high. And so it does allow us to go into with that in-between world. It allow, allows us to move beyond thought and have our thoughts support our process of guidance, of opening, of quieting. In, in the path of the Holy Fool, you know, I'm, I'm using the Grail legend as a, as a metaphor for the whole thing. Right. And the metaphor in that legend is the Grail Castle. It's the invisible, visible world coming together. And of course, Parsifal happens upon the Grail Castle and appears out of nowhere. <laughs> and that's that feeling in the labyrinth. It's like, whoa, deep insights, thoughts that clarify. Mm-hmm. And often people hear guidance. Have you ever had that experience? Yes. Usually just a word or two, but there's mm-hmm. or a sense of almost the universe kind of chuckling at me. Like, oh, I see what you think. Like, yeah, let's try and rework that. Yeah, I, I definitely have heard things. And yeah. it's amazing. And until you had actually said that, I've, I've attended for the audience um, your facilitator training, which is outstanding and amazing. And until you'd said that, I just thought, eh, that was just... No, that was just me imagining. But to hear that other people have that experience was very interesting to me. Yeah, well, there's actually a name for it, auditory. It's In the Christian tradition, it's called audition. You know, an actor goes for an audition, you know. But this, and it's long lost because people are frightened of these kind of things. Um, maybe less so now as we search more and as we try to deepen our awareness of living with the mystery of, of being an earthling on planet Earth. Uh, I mean, is really beginning to touch people's lives. But a lot of people hear guidance, and it often is just one word. Mm-hmm. Or it might be a, a sentence, or it might be a stanza, stanza from a hymn. Wow. Or a, a, a quote from a psalm or something. So it's fascinating. But yes, people can find guidance, but why? Because they can finally quiet their minds enough to listen deeply. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's so true. I mean, so I I love a good centering prayer meditation because it's, you are acknowledging, and I can link up to one if people are curious what that is, but you are acknowledging your thoughts and actively watching kind of yourself push them aside, or at least that's how I do it. But even that can be too, like when, especially now, uh, we're in the middle of the pandemic here, uh, you know, in 2021. And lots of times that's not even a thing for me where it's seriously, even if I just go on a walk not on a labyrinth, I find myself being able to kind of let go of some of the noise. And so I think it's really interesting. And I'm grateful that you've brought up that maybe a sitting meditation isn't something that works for everybody. And and that this is another way to experience that ability to kind of go into the internal landscape in a way that maybe you couldn't if you're I don't know. It's too much to just try and sit and still your mind. Yeah, yeah, and not not that uh, I'm against sitting meditation by any means. It's just something I couldn't do when my stress level is up. But also, a lot of Westerners we're having trouble. We don't even know what a quiet mind is anymore. This is true. Um, yeah, and and so to really be able to um, bring that back into our lives um, through walking, and of course the Buddhists have uh, walking meditation. They walk usually in a straight line and do a discipline of one step with one breath. Mm. Whereas the labyrinths, I think the most important thing is to find your natural pace. Yes. And move into your own flow, which is very refreshing as well. Yeah, and even just the permission and invitation to find your own cadence. 
Like, <laughs> there's so many things about living in our society and our world right now. We get a lot of messaging of all the shoulds of it should look like this, it should feel like this, and to kind of find your way back into your physical somatic center is so helpful. And we need to know our cores. I mean, that's where we get at the core of our beings. That's where we get our own sense of who we are and be able to follow that with integrity. Yeah. And that's a, a really big issue right now. One point I want to make, I'm glad you brought up centering prayer, because the thing, one of the things I love about the labyrinth is any meditation method you've used, like in centering prayer, it, you use a repeated phrase, you used to be called a sacred phrase, and that you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until your mind quiets slowly and then you sort of let go of the phrase. Well, that fits in the labyrinth beautifully. You can do that in, in the inner path that we call the three R's or the releasing path as you're moving in. And then in the center, just to let go of it. And and then, you know, as the teaching goes, then you're usually in a, in a profound sense of silence. But a repeated phrase or breath methods, all of those ways you can apply in the labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure, as when I'm doing a physical one, I, a physical walk of a labyrinth, that is, I, I find it so helpful to kind of mark the beginning, meaning like make it myself so present and aware that, okay, I'm about to enter into this this space. And if I have a word or something that I want to take with me, I, I choose it then or acknowledge it then. And then, as you're saying, sometimes... Just let it go. Like I repeat it as I'm walking. Do you want to talk a little bit about what are some of the things that people do in the center of a labyrinth if they're out on a walk? What are some of the things that happen there? I've been on ones where you can literally sit in the middle or standing. Or do you? Just, I've also seen someone take off and run straight out. So. That's right. Uh, that's actually comes from the it, it's folk, folklore, but it's an active uh, understanding up in the Scandinavian countries. Uh, where you have a classical labyrinth, a uh, different style, the Seventh Circuit classical, and uh, the fishermen, before they go out in the day for their catch, they walk the labyrinth and then run out of the center of the labyrinth, run, hop on their boats and go. And with the understanding that they're kind of leaving all the bad luck or whatever in the labyrinth, leaving it behind. Isn't being that cleansed. interesting? I had a, a participant in one of my walks do that. And I didn't realize that it was a thing. And I don't think she had any knowledge. That opens up huge doors for me. Of like, what, you know, is that like a past life? Like, what just happened? That's amazing. Oh, wow. So then they could go out and, and leave either bad luck or whatever they were carrying with them into their day there and then go on with the yeah. task at hand. Interesting. Yeah, that's the understanding. And that, as I understand it, from some friends that live in the UK and do a lot of research on labyrinths, that that's still very actively done in the Scandinavian countries. But as far as the center, I mean, you're walking to center in a very prescribed path. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people go, oh, you know, I don't know about that. But it's such a complicated, uh, circuitous path that creates the feeling of being lost. You know, and as many world traditions and scriptures say, you have to lose your way to find your way. And I think the labyrinth really captures that. Yeah. But we talk about the three R's, as you know, releasing, receiving, returning. And the receiving part happens in the center. But, you know, you can receive anywhere in the labyrinth. You can release anywhere in the labyrinth. Those are just kinds of instructions to help people understand. Just have a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of the labyrinth before first-time walkers go in. 
because otherwise you, some people are walking in and what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, and so the three R's, releasing, receiving, returning has, as you know, a lot of names, returning and recollection and resolve and reclaim and re reflect yeah. and rebirth. Yeah. Reentry is another one. Reentry. Yeah. Yeah. And it is really powerful. I think it's also really lovely along the lines of you saying in training and, and in your books that allowing people to experience their experience of it and labyrinth is it allows people to just experience whatever it is that they experience and that we don't have to judge these things because I think that's another thing that comes up and maybe even more so now in media than ever before that like somehow even our thoughts are wrong or we can't trust ourselves and learning to experience things for ourselves is really a rich way of tapping back into that self and um, to experience your experience is another way I think of def des describing mindfulness. You know, that you're in the present moment and to experience your experience. And see, it's easy. We're taught not to experience our experience, which is exactly what you're saying. Don't yeah. trust yourself. Uh, you look out, you're thinking wrong. You know, what's wrong with you and all the judgments that can come in. Um, because we're supposed to be something different than we are, of course. Whether it's advertising telling us that we're not using the right toothpaste or we're driving the wrong car so we don't look really, you know, really snazzy and jazzy and all sorts of things. Yes. Uh, socially acceptable, basically. So really being able to trust what comes in and, you know, just being able to listen to it. And see, we're taught, just like you're saying, oh, I just thought that was my, you know, I get a one-word guidance. And, oh, I just stop the heck with that. That's yeah. not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it real? Yeah, and it is real. And yeah. tr to trust it, and that doesn't mean you act on it, but it's it it might. But but you evaluate it, you reflect on it, you think about it, you know, maybe journal about it. Mm -hmm. um, but usually, if there's a nudge, something nudging us on the path, it appears again and again until we finally pay attention to it. Yes. And I kind of had a, a very self-reflective moment there when you were talking about advertising, because on my own path, I started kind of with religious studies and seminary and then found my way to advertising. <laughs> I was a project manager in advertising for many years before I, I, I you know, and then have since come back out of, of that place. And it is true. I mean, that was my existential question of what am I doing? And maybe it came out of the labyrinth. Who knows? But what am I doing all week that I'm telling people that they shouldn't trust themselves in making purchasing decisions or that they need something else in their life? And then on the weekends, I'm leading retreats where I'm trying to deprogram people from that very same messaging that I'm It was very, yeah, existential. So I think the labyrinth also represents that for so many of us is this a way to go inward to figure out what's important and then figure out, as you're saying, how can I bring either that word or something I've learned or what I desire to have more of into my life? Yes. I, th I think one of the powerful things is that the insights we get in the labyrinth uh, are grounded in the body. Mm, yes. So, so it's not necessarily something you have to remember. Oh, yeah, what was that? I mean, that might be true. And that's why sometimes it's helpful to journal your labyrinth experiences but but a, a deep insight that comes through comes through the body as well and it's yours it's yours mm -hmm. yeah and and then it helps move you along toward the direction that we need to go uh, i'm you know. kind of having an existential moment right here just thinking about all of those times and how the labyrinth was involved 
<laughs> like uh-huh, I cannot yeah. really question that. Uh, it's just coming to me in a new way. That's really interesting. Yeah, oh, great. But it's a great uh, thing to, you know, I like your example about here you're working in advertising all week and just, you know, oh, you need this. Oh, you need this. You know, you really need this to be a full person, you know. And then <laughs> in your retreats, you're, you know, you're saying, you know, trust yourself. It's going to emerge from within. That's great. Well, talk about polarities. Yeah, it was. It's truly weird. Yeah. Buy this car wax. No, don't. Yeah. It it was uh, it was very interesting and then led to its own its own place of self-discovery with some other steps along the way, of course. But but yeah, now I'm really honored that I get to do some of the work and it's funny because once I've said yes to the labyrinth and and the facilitator training I've led one online and then I started asking questions and the answers when I ask, hey, would you like someone to help you do this? Or have you thought about in one case having a labyrinth at a summer camp? The answer is, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> like, and, right. and it's like, okay, so now I'm going to keep taking these steps. And yeah, and that's all you need to do. Keep putting one foot in front of yourself and one foot in front of each other and follow the energy. Yeah. You know, follow the excitement, follow the energy, follow, because the, the labyrinth wants to come in. I mean, that's what I meant by I felt I was guided to Grace Cathedral. I was guided through Grace Cathedral. I was guided to the labyrinth, and it wants to come in. I never imagined when we first started this work that we would have two labyrinths at Grace Cathedral, one indoors, one out. Right now, the indoor one is closed because of COVID, but the outdoor one is not. And there's many, we we have about on our labyrinth locator, we should probably mention that, that oh, there yes. is a labyrinth locator. Just Google labyrinth locator, or I would hope to go have you go to the Veritas website mm-hmm. and, and go to the labyrinth locator through that, because there's so much on that website about labyrinths. But there's about 6,000 labyrinths listed on that. And we're in 88 countries now. There's 88 countries have labyrinths. Right. Yeah. So I will link up to the the World Labyrinth Locator. And that would be something that if somebody's listening, they wanted, they're like, hey, I got to try this out. I thought labyrinths were amazing. And no, (laughs) now I really want to go walk one. Go check that out and maybe look ahead to just make sure that they're still open because, of course, there's social distancing concerns. But yeah, I think the best way to just try it is to to go walk one without any expectations of what it might mean and just feel it for yourself. (laughs) It's funny that I said feel it, but like experience it. Yeah, experience it. And that's the hard part, not to have any expectations. That's why on the Veritas website, there's a lot of information, including basic instructions. That doesn't take a lot. You just follow the path. And a lot of outdoor labyrinths, you know, they're not crowded with people. Right. So you, you could turn up there and check it out and in light of social distancing. It's really physical distancing in light of allowing enough space so we're not passing something contagious. Well, and I really do love what you just said about like follow the energy. I feel like that's such a, a thing that we've been taught over our programming as humans to like ignore, but just in life in general, even not if it's specific to the labyrinth of following the energy and seeing where it leads you and like what's exciting you and what's bringing you joy. This is such a delight to talk about all this with you. <laughs> well, and I think that is is the essence of true joy is that you are, you're on a path and you're following it and you're listening to nudges, listening deeply. And then you realize that things start responding. I cannot tell you how many people wrote to me in the beginning when Walking a Sacred Path came out that the book literally fell out, uh, either hit them on the head or fell at their feet. And those were the days when people didn't know what a labyrinth was necessarily. Now a fair amount 
do, but it's a big world. It's a very big world for sure. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I mean, I think I read that book two or three times after I bought it because I just could not stop. One of the things that I've been asking guests about in season six, it's uh, my theme is finding joy in the messy middle, which has some interesting things there going on with labyrinths. How have you found joy in the in the messy middle? Well, I think, I mean, I think we are in the messy middle, so to speak, not necessarily of the labyrinth, but of life right now and COVID and all the racial tensions and all that's going on um, politically, good heavens. So uh, go toward what feeds you, go toward what nourishes you. I think that's a really important peace go toward and and sometimes because we're taught to ignore our experience and figure out what we're supposed to buy instead of experience to go toward what nurtures you it may be nature really important and if you're really distressed find a place a grassy place somewhere and lay your belly on the ground just lay down on the ground and breathe it in really important but great music good books Anything that feeds you and nurtures you is really important right now, more so than, you know, any other time, probably, partly because of the distressing news. You know, who would have thunk it? I mean, that kind of feeling like, look where United States is. Oh, my God. Yeah. Threats in the house and people are scared that they're going to kill each other. I mean, my God, or be killed, more likely. You know, it's really like way off the charts. Yeah. And so to keep finding your core and keep uh, feeding it. And if you're not sure, I think the people that I feel uh, the most concerned about, Paula, are the people who are scared to be alone. Yeah. And, you know, with this enforced, people have been using the word lockdown. To me, that means you have an ankle bracelet on, you're not allowed to go out of the house. But sheltering in place, that I think it's been toughest on them. Disconnected from their friends, really extroverted person, people who are out there and are nourished by meeting people and being with people. There's a lot of wonderful, more extroverted meditation methods, uh, soul collage, for instance, where you're using collage, you're using working with images. That's one, a Zentangle is coming in, learning to draw just any design and repeat it and repeat it. Uh, uh, also adult coloring books, anything that would, that's easy and accessible if you're frightened of being alone and yeah. it's uncomfortable to be alone. Those methods may be very helpful. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm kind of an outgoing introvert. And so I <laughs> do miss my time with people. But it's also been such an interesting experience probably for a lot of empaths and people who are highly intuitive. There's also a layer of this that, yeah, like there's a little too much to feel every day. <laughs> if you're, you know, really intuitive. And yeah, I really feel for people who are highly extroverted that this is just a lot to try and be in a space that's not so comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. It is. And I think it's important too to mention that the labyrinth really balances people. It's not always deep and insightful. It's peace giving. You get a sense of, because, you know, you're turning in the chart labyrinth, you're turning left, you're turning right, you're turning left, 28 times going into center, 28 times coming back out the same path. And it has this kind of balancing. I'm sure it does with the brain, just yeah. just left, right. It's almost like being in a cradle, you know, mm, yeah. rocked in a cradle, you know. 
That's so nice. We're both kind of both waving back and forth too. As, as you say that, like, yes, wouldn't that be nice yeah. to be rock asleep? <laughs> and so before we get to the the final questions, I think we should also talk a little bit about, I mean, and I'll hold up my own hand labyrinth. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. A little bit sideways there, or she is, yeah. who knows. But I recently experienced these for the first time with your training. And I know that Veritas is offering a free moderated kind of led hand labyrinth walk each Friday, at least for right now. And would you share a little bit about that? And and how is it different? How is it the same? Because I know some people may not be able to find in winter or whatever, a labyrinth near them to physically walk with their feet. What's the history behind a hand labyrinth? Early on, when I first started the work at Grace Cathedral, that would be 91, we opened the canvas on the New Year's Eve 24-hour event, Singing for Your Life, and we had that with Bobby McFerrin those days, 10 years we did this. And and it was partly because Bobby was there, but also we announced the labyrinth opening and people were just so hungry for it. And then later, we began to open it at Grace Cathedral, as I mentioned, the first Sunday in silence, the third Wednesday evening and with music. And then people who were visually challenged started turning up mm. and wanting to walk the labyrinth, which I kind of naively then, that's fine with me, and offered my elbow and led them through the labyrinth. But it was a total disorientation. It really was not helpful for me to do that. So I began to experiment with smaller, just handheld labyrinths. And what I used to do is I would get, you know, a molding, a half-inch molding, and I think I had a friend put these together on a board, so 18 by 18 inches, and use clay, And, yeah, yeah clay and our product, just it's like cake mix. You just add water, you know, <laughs> and I'd spread it in there, and then I'd teach myself how to draw it. Not that I could draw a sharp labyrinth even now, but in the clay, stake it out with toothpicks, <laughs> you know, the directions and, and draw this in and it fits, 18 inches fits the width of a finger. They're grooved, it's grooved, mm-hmm. and just like, just like this one is. And so then someone actually suggested, we call them finger meditation tools at that point. And we always, as you know, with facilitators who we train, always encourage people to have them at least one available in some form during an event. It would be an in-person event. But then with COVID, one of our wonderful board members, uh, Stephanie Reeb, suggested that we just do an online handheld labyrinth meditation every week. And we've been doing it since COVID. I think we'll probably continue because the beauty of it is, is online, people can join from anywhere in the world. So on our website, we alternate. One's at, one time it's at 4 o'clock, the other time it's at 1, 12 p.m., 12 noon. Partly because of the U.K. and Europe joining us, on, and then and the other earlier time, the Pacific Rim joining us. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of doing every other week that way. But it's a free event. You just sign up on the Veritas website. And what we're finding is it's really very meaningful. And not only in light of community being online together, but it does, it's certainly a way of teaching people to find the Grail Castle, to be in that liminal realm. Uh, but there's an art to that too, you know, there's an art to dismissing your your everyday thoughts. I have to get cat food for my cat, and I have to do this and that, and you know, those kind of thoughts. Into allowing your, yourself to really connect with your breath, and we encourage any any way like that. Someone who's familiar with the breath meditation might do that in order to do the handheld labyrinth walk. 
Yeah. And we play music, as you know, we play music. And, and then there's a time for sharing. Usually there's a theme, the facilitator introduces a theme. And uh, it's actually worked out very, very well and, and in, a, in a lovely way. And see, for me, that's kind of a new discovery because I always had a labyrinth to walk. So I didn't use uh, a handheld labyrinth much at all. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 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 Well, and I have to say, I hadn't used one until facilitator training. And then I actually found that I really love the classical for the handheld. And, and this is more of a, this is a, I think a variation actually on the, on yeah, the chart. Uh, it is. It's a modified chart. Uh -huh. um, but I really love the, and I wish I had a classical just to show folks, but I can link up to one in the show notes. But that to me was easier for me to do as a, a hand handheld meditation, which was surprising to me, but I love it. And I was totally kind of uh, surprised and delighted to see that it was something that was so meaningful when I couldn't physically walk a space. So would you share where can people find the signups if they want to do either the handheld walks each Friday or want to find out more about you? Where could they get in touch? Sure. So it's the website for Veriditas. It's obviously www. And then it's spelled this way, V-E-R-I-D-I-T-A-S.org. Thank you. So that, that has lots of labyrinth information on it. It's also our events. We are planning, hopefully, and I think it will happen, to go be back in Chart in September. So, because we've gone to these these uh, pilgrimages, we always have groups come over and join us in Shark Cathedral. Yeah. And so we hope to be able to begin that again. And so all that kind of information is there. And we are doing a lot of workshops online too. Right. We just did one about uh, the seasons of the pandemic. And uh, so, and I also have my own private online website, just laurenartress.com. And, and there's more information there. It's connected to Veritas. Yep. but also information about the Holy Fool and things like that. Mm, yes, and I'll link up to all that and the Holy Fool book. Yeah, such such good stuff. And I got goosebumps when you said you're going back in September. Oh, that would be so amazing. I, I'm ready to go see other things besides this uh, yeah, lovely yeah. home of mine. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people are. I mean, to yeah. think about, oh, wow, I'd love to travel or I'd love to go see my family or I'd love all, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and there will be a time when that's coming back in. But meanwhile, handheld labyrinths are one way through when you can go outside. I would say look up a, a labyrinth on the labyrinth locator because there's not a ton of people walking them. Or if one person's walking them, you can wait wait until that person's done. To, so really to reach out and explore. And a lot of people say, you know, Paula, oh, there's none in our area. Uh, we that had might not be true. <laughs> That's right. Uh, check it out. I, I had a friend who they moved up to uh, Van Oregon and they said, oh, there wouldn't be one up there. And I knew there was one in Van. I said, check it out. And they found a very interesting one that it actually supports social distancing or physical distancing. Mm, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, check it out because people are often very frequently surprised. Well, and they're often in places that feel like maybe they're a little trip somewhere in, like they're in beautiful places so to be able to experience that for yourself when maybe right now you're not having experiences besides your neighborhood <laughs> like yeah, I think right. that's a really nice thing or um, your grocery store right <laughs> yeah. Target yeah. wherever and that, that's one of the things that's really interesting too is that people are building them but um uh each labyrinth is different 
-hmm. Each labyrinth is, you know, because of the setting, it's unique. And then the vegetation or the stones or however they do that, they're very unique in their own way, even if it's the same design. So So true. Even like the way that shade or sun falls on them, I find that to be super interesting, like, or the view that you get from some of them is so different. Yes. And that just kind of takes you to a different place each time you're able to walk them. So, yes. There's also a couple books out uh, from people. Twyla Alexander has a book out called, let's see, I think it's 50 Labyrinths and uh, 51 Stories. Her task that she assigned herself was to go to each state and interview women who had made a labyrinth. And so she's been to all 50 states and then she's added her story. And so there's some, there's books out there that might be fun for people to explore as well if they're in their armchair sitting there waiting for the winter to pass or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That is wonderful. I will find those and link up to them as well in the show notes. So the thing that I, I ask everyone before we close out is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Yeah, it's a lovely question. And I love your phrase, jumpstart. Great metaphor, right? Yeah, thank uh, you. Like you jumpstart a car or something. Yeah, I, I, I think that the main one, go toward what feeds you. I think that's one thing. Reach out, even if you can't be physically with somebody, reach out and call someone, especially if you're feeling lonely or, you know, just kind of your energy's really low. I'd certainly say find a labyrinth if you can and when you can or and join the online. I mean, that's free. It's a free event. There's hundreds of people on it. It's fabulous and it's guided. It's it's led. And that's another option. But but also to see joy as a byproduct. It's not a it's not something you can don't necessarily have to go directly toward. I mean, our pets, our animals, that's one joyous thing about this this pandemic is that our adoption agencies and all the SPCA, they're empty. They don't have any animals. They're low on animals. Isn't that great? That all these animals have found a home. And maybe that's another way to to jumpstart joy is is find something you love or if you don't have that with you, maybe consider a pet. It's a great time to have break in a pet at home for sure. It is. And I know ours is immensely spoiled because now he will never want us to leave the house. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's another negotiation. <laughs> yeah, but that's, we'll get there. I'll be joyful to get there when we're all talking about that. Right. Uh-huh. Oh, Lauren, this has been such, such a true treat and a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. You take care. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me. It was such a treat to get to have Lauren on the show when I'd just become a trained labyrinth facilitator. I highly recommend the training by Veritatos if you are at all interested in it and much of it's online still. It's a real treat to be able to train with Lauren and I look forward to continuing (laughs) as a part of their program. If you want to find out more about this show and about Lauren, you can head on over to the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com, and look for the, the episode notes for these. It would also be in your podcast player if you're listening to this in a podcasting app. And there you'll find the list of Lauren's books, along with a link to the World Labyrinth Locator and her organization, Veritas, as well. And I hope you will check out all those resources if you're curious. And if you maybe go out and walk a labyrinth, 
I would love to hear about your experience. And of course, you can email me at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com. Next week on the show, we'll be hearing all about health and leaning into your own decisions and developing your own third opinion from Dr. Barbara De La Torre. She has just launched a podcast called Third Opinion MD, and she has this really lovely balance of Eastern and Western medicine. She's going to tell us about that and what inspired her to leave traditional medicine as a doctor to start her very own thing. I can't wait to have her on. I hope you'll come on back for that discussion and until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.